0: We listen to Moshe's words. We even read a 30, 43 verse song, also described as a poem sometimes, that details Israel's unfaithfulness and the consequences that they're going to be actually facing because of their unfaithfulness to God, and they will suffer greatly. In verse 7, he says this Zechor Yemotolam binush not. door door. remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. So we see a couple of thoughts here. Listen and remember. That would tell me that's what we're supposed to listen for. We're supposed to listen for a reminder. And when he details in this song all the things that they've done wrong, they'll remember what their ancestors did wrong. Zachor! Remember! This is something we read repeatedly throughout Scripture. Especially during the Moedim. We're supposed to remember something. We're commanded to remember something. Remember the Exodus. Remember the journey through the wilderness. Remember dwelling in Sukkot. Remember the giving of the Torah. Zachor! Remember. Now the founder of Hasidic Judaism, the Baal Shem Tov, said this. Forgetfulness leads to exile, while remembrance is the secret of redemption. Anybody that's been to the History Museum at Yad Vashem, you may remember seeing that as you're leaving. It's actually on the wall as you leave And they say it's to guard your exit as you're leaving. Elie Wiesel once wrote, Remembering is a noble and necessary act. The call of memory, the call to memory, reaches us from the very dawn of history. He goes on to say, No commandment figures so frequently and so insistently in the Bible. It is incumbent upon us to remember the good we have received and the evil we have suffered. Remembering is not just remembering the good stuff. Because if you don't remember the bad things, all the evil things, you don't remember the faults, you are going to repeat them. We learn from our mistakes, unfortunately. It's a hard pill to swallow sometimes when you realize what you've done, and you realize that it was a teaching time. I'm learning from this. What am I learning? Don't do that again, or do it differently. Uh, Messianic Rabitz and Monique Brumbach says this about remembering: not because it's a novel exercise. Remembering the past is not just an interesting hobby. Let's not treat 6,000 years of history as a cute piece of cultural trivia. Let us remember together because remembering is vital to our survival as a people, our allegiance to the God of our ancestors, and our continued faith in the return of the Messiah. I like that. Remembering is just not a passing fad. We don't remember just to... Say, oh, well, we remember this. We remember. No, it's to remind us of something. That's what remembering is. So all that being said, we talked about listening, talked about remembering. It would make sense that this parasha is about listening and hearing. And that might be the general theme of this parasha. And that would be good. We could focus on that. Well, what I'd like to suggest, and I've heard and read others that actually have said it like this. That act of listening, that act of remembering is really a distraction. They say it's a distraction to another thought in this Torah portion. Not the first word, but the very last sentence. The essence is not listening, but seeing For those that are keeping track, the title of this message is Seeing is Believing. We've heard that before. I have to see it to believe it? In chapter 32, verse 52, we read, For you will see the land from afar, but you will not enter there into the land that I am giving to Bnei Israel." We know that Moshe was prohibited from going into the promised land. We know after this reading that Moshe, arguably, arguably one of the greatest leaders, if not the greatest, of the Israelites, is not going to get to lead the people into the promised land. Some even have suggested that this last verse was kind of the final blow to him. The ultimate punishment. That he led the people all the way to the borders, but he was not going to be able to enter with them. Okay, but to see the land, actually be able to see where he can't go, to view that land that has been promised for years, for generations... But I can't go in there? Some say that, that seems like it's a little even over the top for God. Why would He put that in front of Him? Why would He let Him see the land? He does, he, you know, God's not really known for unusual punishment, everything He does is just. So He's not a cruel God, and He wouldn't inflict unusual punishment on somebody just to be mean. Especially to Moshe, he's been with him all these years. Why is he going to do this to him at this time? Here's what the rabbis say: God is an enforcer. Midah keneged midah, measure for measure. So they say it's not an act of midat hadin, God's attribute of justice, by punishing or or being being the judge of all all mankind. They say maybe it, what God was being allowed to see the land for was a concession because of God's midad harachamim, attribute of mercy, his more compassionate side. Rashi says that the reason God showed Moshe the promised land at this time of the story was that if Moshe did not have the opportunity to see it specifically then, he never would have had the opportunity to see it again. Which we know the reasoning, because he just he went to the top of the mountain, he saw, and he died on the mountain. So that's absolutely right. He will not ever see it if he doesn't see it now. So, God says, according to Rashi, you shall not enter it, you shall not come there. For I know that it's precious to you, this is why I say to you, go up and see. It's a little, little bit of leeway that you got to give there. Rashi says this is what God's saying, but he's interpreting this whole action. So maybe it is an example of God's sense of compassion and showing favor to Moshe one last time. Moshe worked for years. As a matter of fact, he spent the majority of his life Living for and serving God. We read that throughout Scripture. And he was always doing God's will. Now we read that, the Israelites knew that, but guess what? The most important thing is, God knew that. Even though, according to God, as we read, Moshe made one fatal mistake that keeps him out of the promised land, God had compassion for Moshe. In essence, God allowed Moshe to see the promise, but not touch it, not feel it. He lets Moshe see the land, but not experience it. God is telling Moshe, don't worry, I will keep my promise, and your people will enter the land. You can now die in peace, knowing that you've completed the journey that you began. But you are no longer part of the plan. So if that's the case, why follow through with the punishment? If he's going to be compassionate, why can't he overturn the sentence? That part, we can't answer. Why did God not overturn the sentence he imposed on Moshe? Moshe, only God can answer that. If he's going to be compassionate enough to let him see the land, why not say, you know, okay, you, you slipped, you made a mistake, come on in. He didn't do that. According to Rashi, a deeper understanding of the attribute of mercy, Midat HaRachamin, might suggest a different understanding of the verse. God allowed Moshe to see the promised land because God suspected Moshe had grown even more distrusting in his old age. Maybe. We don't know that for certain, but that's what Rashi says. Think of what, what we read this morning. And we, we've we been reading and studying this week in Ha'azinu. If Moshe could not go and make it into the Promised Land because of his lack of faith and his distrust during the whole rock and water incident, at Meravah, then maybe he had lost faith at this point. He knows he's not going any further than where he is now. This this journey up the mountain is his last act that he's going to be able to do before the Israelites enter the land. And so, if he had lost faith, God certainly would have known. The next stage is the Promised Land. God knows that Moshe could not possibly have been satisfied just to hear about it. Moshe, like many of us, needs to see it to believe it. And so in his, his never-ending grace, God showed Moshe the promised land. So it wasn't necessarily a punishment By letting him see something he wasn't going to experience. It was more of a consolation. God already made up in his mind that he was not going to relent. He was not going to overturn the sentence. He was not going to allow Moshe to enter the promised land. That was certain. But I can let him see it. I can let him see it so that he knows that he hasn't wasted his time leading my people to this point. It exists. It exists. Seeing is believing. This was God understanding and meeting Moshe where he was at the very time when he was coming to the end of his life. He was probably weary. He was most likely tired by this point. And he might have been a bit skeptical. I tell you what, I would be very tired after leading a stubborn, Obstinate people that don't want to listen to the words God has spoken. I'd be tired. I would have been tired a long time before this. Moshe put up with a lot. But he kept on going because he was serving God. God was going to wipe everybody out and let Moshe be the one to create a new people. And Moshe said, no, these are your people. What are the surrounding nations going to say if they see you destroy your people? They're going to see you say you're not a just God. Moshe said a lot of that already knowing that he blew it. He's not going to the Promised Land, but he was still out there leading the people. I probably would have been tired after the first year. I don't know how he made it so long. So you could say that Even though God did not overturn the sentence, he lessened the severity of the decree. So he softened the blow a little bit. He let him have a visitation. And this makes perfect sense that this is the Torah portion we read today. Three days after the final prayers of Yom Kippur. We spent the last two weeks praying and praying and praying, calling on God, crying out to God. We had the apples and honey, the shofar blast, and casting bread on the waters on Rosh Hashanah. We had the fasting on Yom Kippur. All of the days of the Yamim Noraim, the days of awe, we've gone through. And after all that, we've had enough of hearing. We need to see. To some degree, we need to feel it. We need to know that what we've just gone through was worth it. So the High Holy Days were our mountain. We were climbing the mountain, getting close to God. And we've made that climb. We've made it to the top. And now, we're waiting. We are waiting for the next step in our journey. Sukkot. On Sukkot. We shake the lulav. We smell the etrog. We build, rejoice and spend time together under the sukkah. As a matter of fact we're commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 16 verse 14. You shall rejoice in your feast. Not a time of sadness and sorrow anymore. We're supposed to be happy on Sukkot. We came through the somberness and the heaviness of the high holy days. And as Steve McConnell puts it, this is a time of our rejoicing. Hallelujah, Sukkot has come. So I think it's just fitting that Sukkot is the next moed, next holiday, following the days of awe. Because now we continue to experience God and rejoice as a part of that process. Now we have something that we can see with our eyes and hold in our hands. All the elements of the lulav set. All the elements, all the parts that go into Sukkot. We're now touching. We're feeling it. We're seeing it. We're seeing that it's not just about this sadness that we've been going through and we've been just... Praying and praying. But now we've gotten to the reward. We're at the top of the mountain. We're waiting to move forward now. And that's going to happen tomorrow. Like Moshe, we needed to see the promised land. The fulfillment. And not just hear about it. Once again, seeing is believing. We need to reach the hope That we've been praying for and seeking. And I hope that's what we've done. We've gotten to that point. We've gotten over that hump. Again, we know that in Messiah Yeshua, we're forgiven any time we turn to him and ask for forgiveness. But we went through this process during the Days of Awe. A practice, a tradition that is very sacred in Judaism. And we followed the steps. We followed the rules. And we've gotten to that point. I don't want to show of hands, but how many made it 24 hours after the final prayers of Yom Kippur without transgressing? How many made it 48 hours after after the final prayers without transgressing? We are human beings. We're not perfect. We strive toward perfection. But we're never going to be perfect. We're only perfect in death. Because we can no longer transgress God's laws. We can no longer upset anybody else by our words and our actions. My prayer for this Sukkot, that it becomes that vision for and in all of us that we know that we've reached that point during the Moadim, that now we're turning and we're rejoicing. It's the season. It's the time of our rejoicing. Hallelujah. Sukkot has come. Abba, we thank you and we bless you that you have led us thus far in our journey. And we pray with your help That we will make it to that next stage. We pray that you would help us to make it to where you want us to be. Each and every one of us, Lord, has a purpose. You've already decided what that purpose was a long time ago. Reveal to us our purpose. Reveal to us what we're supposed to be doing to bring pleasure to you. Reveal to us what our purpose is and who we're supposed to reach out to as we continue to do your will. That we continue to reach out to the lost. That we continue to take care of each person one at a time. Lord, we know you're merciful. We know you're compassionate. And we pray that you would show mercy and you would show compassion. As we go forward and continue the work that you've bestowed upon us. That you continue to work through us and in us, around us. Remind us, Lord, what we're supposed to be doing for your kingdom. And not so much what we want to get done here, but what you want done for eternity. We bless you because you are the only one that can give us the answers. You are the only one who can direct us in holiness. Where we've fallen short even since Wednesday night, we pray for your forgiveness and your redemption. We pray that you would not withhold your forgiveness from us. We pray that you would always point it out to us right away when we've gone astray, so we can turn back to you immediately and not linger on and not wait till next Yom Kippur. Let this be our time of rejoicing. Let us be steadfast in you that we can rejoice in you and give you the glory and the praise. Shem Yeshua.